Welcome, and thanks for listening to Cherry Beckert's Government and Public Sector Podcast Series. In each episode, we hear from the best in the business on the latest challenges, trends, and opportunities affecting the government and public sector. I'm Christian Fjellgraf, leader of Cherry Beckert's Government and Public Sector Industry Team. I hope you enjoy, and thank you for joining us. Hello, everyone. I'm excited to be back talking all things GASB with Scott and a first-time guest today. Uh, my name is Danny Martinez, and I lead our National Government and Public Sector Accounting Advisory Group. Uh, within that group, we do uh, quite a few things uh, supporting accounting and financial reporting, helping to uh, keep on track with audit timelines, uh, write ACFRS, you know, a variety of things. And we're looking forward to be meeting with you all today to present on uh, GASB 100. Scott, will you go ahead and reintroduce yourself? Sure. Uh, thanks for having me today. My name is Scott Anderson. I've been with the firm for about 18 years, um, primarily in our government public sector practice. Um, spent a couple of years at the GASB as a practice fellow and returned to the firm about a year and a half ago. And I spent a lot of my time uh, reviewing financial statements and helping um, our clients implement new accounting pronouncements. Thank you, sir. Duwana, first welcome. And then can you please uh, introduce yourself to the audience? Hi, everyone. My name is Dewana Coleman. I've been with the firm about seven years. I'm a senior manager in our government and professional practices. Perfect. All right. So let's dig right in. So with governments in the last few years, they've been working right going through implementing GASB 87. Then they had to implement GASB 96. And through all of that and all the things that are going on, you know, with staffing shortages and all of those things, they may not have been paying attention to beyond 96 and what, and what governments have been uh, doing, uh, what GASB has been doing. Um, and so we're here now sitting uh, early February and we're at 102 at this point. And so what I was thinking we could do is let's start with uh, GASB 100. So what does GASB uh, 100 cover, Scott, and how is this changing things? Sure. Um, GASB 100 covers accounting changes and error corrections. So some of those pronouncements you just mentioned was completely new guidance. Um, GASB 96, for example, no previous guidance on GASB 96. Sometimes the GASB will issue pronouncements that completely replace existing guidance. And so that's what this is. This replaces about 31 paragraphs from GASB 62. Um, it represents kind of a refresh on, on that guidance. One of the things that changes first off is it gets rid of the term prior period adjustment. That's what that section was called in GASB 62. Um, it's not a very good term for, for what we're talking about, so GASB got rid of it. Uh, another thing that it does is it clarifies some of the definitions and concepts. Um, there is a new concept, a change within a financial reporting entity, and it also provides specific guidance on how to actually present um, these error corrections or accounting changes. That was one of the, the feedback, the items of feedback that the GASB got when they went out and, and did some research is that governments uh, were not reporting uh, accounting changes at all consistently with each other. And so this provides more explicit guidance on how to present those changes. Great, great. Thank you, Scott. And so, Dewana, you uh, helped write our article, Navigating GASB 100, Accounting Changes and Error Corrections. And so what I was thinking that we could do is kind of take them in, in two separate parts. And so I thought we could start with uh, accounting changes and, and let's work through each of the three different types. And so first, uh, I was wondering if you could tell us 
uh, what the definition of a change in accounting principle is, and maybe if you can give an example for the audience. No problem, Danny. A change in accounting principle is a change from one generally accepted accounting principle to another generally accepted accounting principle. The most common example, and the one I think most people are familiar with, is implementation of a new standard. Like Scott mentioned, we do this every year. There's usually something that's coming out that we have to do. Many of you have just adopted or are now adopting GASB 96 subscription-based IT arrangements. Under the old guidance, every new standard would include transition guidance to help reporting entities with presentation and common issues. Going forward, the transition guidance will only be included in the standard if there's a difference from GASB 100. GASB 100 requires governments to report the change retroactively, restating the beginning net position, fund balance, or fund net position with, with the exception of required supplementary information or supplementary information, which would only be restated for the periods presented in the basic financial statements. Periods that are not included in your basic financial statements should not be restated. Perfect. And, and you're right with going through 87 and 96, I think change in accounting principles really fresh on, on a lot of people's minds. So, so the second type of accounting change, uh, change in accounting estimate. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and give us an example? No problem. Accounting estimates are defined as amounts subject to me measurement uncertainty that are recognized or disclosed in the basic financial statements. There are two parts to calculating an accounting estimate. One, the methodology, and two, the inputs. A change in accounting estimate applies only to the change in inputs. A change to the methodology is considered a change in accounting principle. For example, a capital asset is depreciated over 35 years using the straight line method. A change from the straight line method to the double declining balance method would be a change in accounting principle. However, if after receiving new information that wasn't originally available, the useful life is changed to 25 years, that would be a change in accounting estimate. That distinction is important. Because unlike a change in accounting principle, which requires a retroactive change, GASB 100 requires that change in accounting estimates be reported prospectively by recognizing the change in accounting estimate in the reporting period in which the change actually occurred. Right. That whole idea of prospectively versus uh, uh, retrospectively, I think, is the really big thing to remember whenever you're uh, having a, a change in accounting estimate versus a change in accounting principle. Uh, so Scott mentioned at the top, there, there's a new one. There's a new new type of accounting change that has been brought in with uh, GASB 100, at least called out uh, more specifically, and that is a change to or within a financial reporting entity. Uh, can you please let us know a little bit more about that one and uh, another example? Sure. A change to the reporting entity typically results in addition or removal of component units while changes within the reporting entity usually result from the movement of funds from major or non-major or changes in a component unit's presentation as blended or discreetly presented. Changes to or within the financial reporting entity should be reported by adjusting the current reporting period's beginning balances for the effect of the change as if the change occurred as of the beginning of the reporting period. Perfect. Scott, I might uh, go back to you on that a little bit later in terms of the major versus uh, non-major uh, in terms of that being a, a change within a financial reporting entity. So, of course, GASI 100, right, we have accounting changes and error corrections. So we spent the first part of this podcast working through the three different types of, of accounting changes. Uh, can you share with uh, our audience kind of what an error correction is, you know, how that is different and, and an example? <laughs> sure. 
Error corrections come from mistakes found in financial reporting. According to GASB 100, mistakes are derived from calculation errors, errors in implementation of standards, or oversight or misuse of facts. Considering our previous example, an error might be manually inputting 35 years as the useful life when 25 years was intended, or inputting 35 years when clear historical data was available that concluded that specific class of asset only lasted for 25 years. Error corrections should be reported retroactively by resetting all prior periods presented. When making error corrections, the entity is required to make changes to any RSI previously reported and included in the report for all prior periods impacted. Great, great. Thank you, Dewana. I'm going to turn to Scott now. Uh, one of my favorite things to, to ask you, Scott, because I know you spend your nights and weekends going through basis of conclusions in the Gatsby uh, YouTube videos, is was there any interesting conversations at Gatsby um, as this was was going through um, and, and all the way to where it became an, an issued standard? Uh, anything about the decisions that were made uh, that you think our audience uh, might want to know about? Well, I don't know if the audience wants to know about them. I find it interesting. Now, I, I was at the GASB when when this statement as well as GASB 101 came out. And I remember for most of the time, 101 was further ahead, um, but they were coming down the wire and we were wondering which one would be get issued first, which one would be GASB 100, which one would be GASB 101. And the decision, I believe, was made to have this one be 100 because it was going to provide all of the transition guidance for GASB 101. So 101 no longer had to have that guidance in there. And I think that was intentional because then it demonstrated the effect that 100 was going to have on future accounting pronouncements. Um, so I thought that part was interesting. Um, the other part that I thought was interesting or a conversation that was had was, you know, the change in accounting principle is a change from one generally accepted accounting principle to another. It does not apply when an entity is not applying GAAP at all. So there are some entities, for example, that apply FASB and then some change happens in the way that they're organized or structured and now they have to report under GASB. This pronouncement does not apply to those changes. Um, in fact, there currently is not any existing guidance within the GASB literature on how to make those types of changes. Um, and they debated a little bit on whether or not that was necessary, and maybe that will end up being um, a project in the future. But so it doesn't apply to non-GAP to GAP. This is for GAP to GAP. I hadn't thought about that. That, that. Yeah, that is that is interesting. So Scott, when is this effective? Uh, it's effective now, this year, for our governments with June 30, uh, 2024 year ends. Um, it becomes affected, effective. Um, it's an easy one to implement, though, right? It's not one that will affect your financial statements unless you happen to have an error correction or or a change in accounting principle. Great. So, so as we like to end uh, these podcasts, Scott, you're aware of this, they want to kind of fill you in for the first time. One of the things we like to ask our guests about is a, a key takeaway. So what would be your key takeaway? And let's start with Scott. What's your key takeaway uh, from GASB 100? You know, if you were to take GASB 100 and compare it to the prior period adjustment guidance in statement 62, you may not notice a lot of differences. Um, in a lot of cases, clarifying. One takeaway that I have from reviewing GASB 100 is it seems to emphasize a little bit more the qualitative characteristics of financial reporting. 
So you can only change an accounting principle as long as you can justify it along the basis of improving upon the qualitative characteristics of financial reporting. So, you know, relevance, reliability, consistency, comparability, timeliness, understandability. And so if you're changing from one accounting principle to another accounting principle, right off the bat, you're affecting in a negative way consistency. And so you have to have another reason that's going to more than compensate for, for the lack of consistency. But timeliness is one of those things. And so if you change your an accounting principle because you think you can get the information or you can report quicker, you know, that's one that's a very valid reason for changing an accounting principle to make it easier for financial reporting purposes. Um, so that was that was one of my takeaways. Um, also, GASB very rarely um, prescribes specifically how things are presented or disclosed in notes. And this is one where they do prescribe. It even specifies a tabular format, which is something that they don't do very often, uh, but that's an interesting takeaway that they are being very uh, prescriptive about how this should be presented. Um, because they are so prescriptive, I think that your change from a major fund to a non-major fund uh, will be very interesting because you will have mm -hmm. to show a column with zero balances to restate your beginning uh, number. And I think the effect that will have is governments won't want to change funds from major to non-major back and forth, back and forth, which I think was a goal. I don't think that, you know, when we talk about consistency, keeping funds yeah. presented as major um, is an important result. Uh, and I think that was intentional. Gotcha. I'm, I'm glad you cir circled back to that. Because when we were on, uh, when I was on the AICPA's Te Technical Issues Committee, um that was what the biggest thing that we we well one of the bigger things that we brought out is the the potential impact of the changing from major to non-major and how that would it would look you know when you actually put pen to paper uh if you have that situation Duano, how about you what's your key takeaway from gasby 100 my key takeaway is to make sure that as i'm helping my clients out to make sure they are applying the standards the way they should be if it says we're doing it retroactively that we are actually applying that standard retroactively and that we're making sure that we are updating rsi that should be updated and not making changes to rsi that shouldn't be updated thanks Anne. great yeah i remember when i was on the audit side the whole wait do, you, do i really have to go back or can i just can we just put this to the current year? Is that is that is that okay? And you know those conversations that, that you would have, perfect. Well, you know as we close, I just like to remind our government listeners, you know that we're here to help. We have a completely separate group, completely focused on government, completely focused focused on advisory issues. In addition to you know Dewana and team and all of the great auditors that we have through the Cherry Becker uh, footprint. One of the more exciting things that we're developing. Uh, is a GASB roadmap for high-performing governments where you're evaluating the complexity of these upcoming standards. And then based off of that complexity, you know, being 87, 96, a little bit more difficult. This one, like Scott said, maybe not as, as difficult from a complexity standpoint. And determining uh, what tools, what templates, you know, our governments would need to kind of take some of that burden uh, off of our GASB as a service clients as they're implementing. Well, with that, I'll go ahead and close. Thank you, Scott and Dewana, again, for this helpful information. You'll be able to find our article on GASB 100 on the Cherry Becker website, and um, you will also be able to see uh, webinars, additional podcasts on 101, 102, and as we progress uh, through 2024 on various timely GASB topics. This is Christian again. I hope you enjoyed this episode and look forward to our next one. 
don't forget to subscribe.